but this time I didn't. Let's let it in. It's so dramatic. Um, I've had one guest on that knew what that was, and now I have two that know what that is. Um, you it's, are correct, sir. Yeah. Here, Darren, you... Uh, yeah, that's your... Is that alive? Yeah. See, what I do on the board here, on this nice Mackie, is on... on it's alive! At, on my channel... I turn the bass up just slightly. It's like being on a it's like being on a TV show, and the post chair is just slightly higher. I turn the bass up so I sound more macho. Yeah, but I can talk lower than you. Yeah, but then I can do this. <laughs> Go ahead. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> now I sound really tinny. <laughs> uh, I made no promises about guests. Uh, I set this up sub rosa, without telling anybody. Um, this is my old friend Darren McGovern, who's, who I've known for, what, 20-something years? Some ridiculous fucking amount of time. Yeah. Um, I think we formed each other's early moral judgment. Um, and we continue. Or lack thereof. Yeah. And continue to. Uh, but I said, hey, Darren, you gotta, we were just talking one day. I said, you know what? We ought to come on and just do this on the show. Because I enjoy it, and uh, that's, as I said before, the point of the show is for me to enjoy myself. Um, if people listen and enjoy it, 
that's great and I love that. But mainly, if I don't think if I don't like it, then why bother? Because obviously, we're not getting paid at Kill Radio to do anything. Everybody's doing this because they like it, <laughs> and have been for a while. I'm not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. Radio Let's Go is still here, and they're uh, they're cheering for us. What are you listening to? We're listening to you. Oh, you're trying to see if you you can get the oh yeah. Yeah, how much of a delay is there? Like 20, 30 seconds? It can be like 5, 6 seconds to 20. Yeah, it all yeah. It's, 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 it's this weird thing, and I don't know what changes the delay. Anyway, Darren is, um, we've known each other for a long time. He's a musician, um, uh, magician, or used to be. Not a stage magician, though. This is, this is the uh, when do I get to smite um, type of Western ma occult magic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk a bit about that A bunch of other stuff that I've talked about on the show before But um, obviously uh, the reason I keep up with people Is because they always have something to special say special artist Yeah, that too Yeah, yeah. So every day when I Now I work with them So I see them at work There's a conceptual art thing going on constantly every day and it's not completely created by you, though. But you don't know if I'm actually a musician and a magician, or whether that's just a piece. Might as well be. But then I don't. I tend to not worry about it because it, um, it's just more fun that way. Uh, which brings us to uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who taught me not to worry. Somehow, we went to um, his memorial service a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Um, we had to, you know up to the mountain and see the hermit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which was in Santa Cruz. And the thing, the funny thing was it was a real cool ceremony and then they took his ashes out and threw it in the, in the bay uh, in Santa Cruz. And uh, we got bored with all the tributes, so we left early. Everybody ate, um, ate hash brownies. Then we left and went to the Bigfoot Museum all stoned out of our minds. <laughs> Great. Did you like that Bigfoot Museum? Oh, heck yeah. That guy, do you do you notice this, that everybody that studies Bigfoot eventually starts to look like Bigfoot? <laughs> there were several. They were a bit shorter, but... <laughs> yeah. If you just go online and look at any, like, Bigfoot researcher, male, that's been doing it for a while, they're big, hairy guys. Is that like people look like their pet? Kind of yeah, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> So the guy looked like Bigfoot. It, it was great, but I think that I think that place is closed down now. Uh, they ran out of money. Lauren Coleman, who is another Bigfoot and weird phenomena researcher, who's a friend of mine, also kind of looks like Bigfoot, and he's um, soliciting donations for the Forty and uh, the Cryptozoology Museum in Maine, where he lives. So look him up on Cryptomundo. Maybe that's the key to your hair loss. You just got to be into the Bigfoot phenomena. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I should be more into Bigfoot. <laughs> On that note, we're going to get you going. All right. Have a good one. Hey, see you. I forgot to bring beer this time. Anyway, um, we first met on the first job I had in L.A., and I think Darren's second or third job, and found out that we were both into Western occultism, me through, probably mainly through uh, Robert Anton Wilson, and then all his references to Aleister Crowley, etc. And Darren, I don't know how you came to it. Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, what are all Led Zeppelin songs about? Sex, really. 
Uh, sex or Crowley, right? Well, yeah, you know, I went through a period where it was all Zeppelin and I read a few bits and pieces, and so I just became curious about what the hell they were talking about. With the if you can't hear yourself Crowley through references. here, yeah, it's low. Yeah, I hear myself. And so I just read a bit, that's all, you know, nothing special. Yeah, but the, the funny thing is that people see that and they think it's, it's mumbo-jumbo-ish stuff. And it, I think it's designed that way for people that are idiots to keep them away. And then there's different levels. Of, people don't realize this. There's different levels of that. And um, my thing I've told Darren and other people is the first, you know, the when you get people in there, at least into a real lodge, if you want to call it that, the first thing one, they want to find out is how to smite, which is my joke about um, people starting, uh, especially OTO, Crowley-type people. And I don't think, you know, to me, Crowley wasn't about smiting. He was about transforming yourself into a... Uh, the thing that you want to be, as long as you know what you want to be, which is like one in a million people do. So, and I don't know nothing about smiting. What? But I didn't but. read that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy trying to be happy. Chapter twenty-three, smiting. But uh, smiting yeah. people. Just trying to get the monkey out of your soul. Hey, that's a cue. Play this song. Which song is this? Monkey in Your Soul. Who's is this you? No. Who is it? It's uh Steely Dan. Monkey in Your Soul. Yeah. Um, Darren and I often have arguments about music, but if it's a good piece of music, I'll like it. Regardless. We have the punk hippie argument. I told him that most people will listen to download the show more if there's an argument. Uh, you're plugged in here. Well that's one place we can argue. Music. I tend to like stuff that's too normal. That's okay. I like I like Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, you wuss. Iffy. I got one and It's so hard to help Thank you. 
I've heard this. Oh, did you put this on the, the disc for me? The little girl named you yeah, years ago has died now. And you're older, Apesma. Remember when she named you? It was in the paper, Apesma? Apesma? Apesma, you're eating too much. You're going to the bathroom too much. Apesma. And Apesma? Your cage isn't getting any bigger, Apesma. Anyway. What? Don Van Cee. You tuned in late. Um, my friends uh, Mick and Julia are listening. Uh, yes, you tuned in late. Uh, what monkey in your soul? I'm asking you. I've been talking too much. Oh, you know, that whole uh, evolution thing. The evolution from the... Uh, well, you're talking about the Golden Dawn and, and uh, what, well, what not... Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Apesma evolution concept, you know, you gotta, gotta keep track of that monkey in your soul. You, you must talk into the microphone or people can't hear you. Unless you don't want them to hear you, that you want to be mysterious. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? You know, evolve here. Bill Hicks will tell you about it. Do you remember Jeremy? Yes. Yeah. He said, you got to listen to this dude, man. And he was right. Yep. Now he's gone. Now he's gone, and he's uh, in the Pantheon, um, along with uh, uh, Andy Kaufman, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. What were you pointing to here? Oh, nothing. Okay. 
Mick just sent us an email saying that Lee Harvey Oswald's getaway cab sold for thirty-seven thousand. What is it? Thirty-seven, thirty-five thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. The checker cab, once known as Lee Harvey Oswald's getaway car, has been sold at auction to an Illinois museum. The Canadian auction house. Blah, blah, blah. So the 1962 Checker Marathon was among the holdings. My, that's loud. Sold Saturday at the defunct from the defunct Pate Museum of Transportation near Fort Worth. The former Dallas taxi cab sold for thirty-five thousand seven hundred fifty dollars for display at the historic auto attraction museum in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, Oswald hailed the cab after the bus in which he tried to escape got stuck in traffic moments after John F. Kennedy's assassination. The driver identified Oswald in a police lineup the next day. You know what is interesting here? Oswald hailed the cab after the bus in which he tried to escape got stuck in traffic moments, moments after President John F. Kennedy's assassination. It doesn't say moments after he shot President John F. Kennedy. It just says moments after Kennedy's assassination. Isn't that interesting? That's cool of them down at Local News Texas Southwest off the website here that uh, Mick pointed us to. Well, let me uh, summarize the story. Somebody's insane and paid thirty-five grand for a cab. <laughs> they're not insane because they're putting it in a museum and they're going to get people to come in that are insane to pay money to see it. It's ah, an investment, dude. Crazy all the way to the bank. Yeah. Anyway, why am I here? Uh, to to clarify, you got to clarify for these people. Uh, yeah, I'm here because I have a new record out. That's the main reason. Yes, Darren is. Uh, he recorded a new album. How long has it been since you recorded a whole album's worth of stuff? Uh, you know, a decade or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so he's back. Every decade, I do one. Every time they say so, whatever's back, I say, where did they go? Yeah. Or where did it go? Not that that's the only reason I went to here. Of course. Yeah, Darren's... We uh, do this in our sleep. We always do. It's, uh, do you want to play something off the album, or do you want to, you want to explain it, or do you want to whine, or... Bitch uh, well, people, let's, or... let's play one here. Okay. This is the opening track called High Horse. And just a bit of venting... And uh, we up? Oh, yeah. Now we're up. Go ahead. All right. Is that down home enough for you? You're so cavalier to everyone else. You only give a damn about yourself. Never lean to me or can't hear anyway. Never help your friends in a helpful way. Yourself a mind like a trap. You help yourself, don't take no flack, and you leave your smell like an alley cat. You're so cavalier, you talk too much. You use your past like a fucking crutch. You blame everyone, can't see yourself. I don't know any of these people!
Yes, say a bit about the show coming up. Yeah. Our first show will be next Friday, this Friday, the Friday coming up, the 11th, at Cozy's, world-famous Cozy's in Sherman Oaks on Ventura Boulevard. And as it turns out, they're selling the place, so this may be one of the last shows there. It's been there forever. That was uh, that song was, um, no, let me, let me remember what it was. High Horse. That's correct. Yes. Off Darren's uh, new CD, This Old Life, uh, which you can get on iTunes. iTunes, or you can go to com and check out the website and the links. That's Darren, D-A-R-E-N. D-A-R-R-E-N. Yeah. Double R. Yeah, yeah, for those who don't know. And, uh, yeah, what else? So, what do you think? I think when I listen to that song, and I, I don't know, yeah, I told you this when I first heard it, totally makes me think of uh, Timbuk3. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I've been listening to them for some time. The great Pat McDonald. Yeah. And uh, my brother's a big fan of his, too. But you turned me on to him back in the day when I wasn't really paying attention to him. Do you have any on there? Do you have assholes on parade? That's what it reminds me of. I have his uh, one of his new songs. Oh, really? Somewhere in here. Uh, oh yeah. This is a band called Timbuk Three. Yeah, see, uh, Julia knows. Future so bright, I gotta wear a shade. Yes, them. That was their one hit. But they yeah. did have He's about moved on since yeah, then three or four albums worth about of. his wife, who basically was just them too, right? Yeah, them yeah. too, and they got a drummer later. Hey, it's a cool guy. This is a song here called Gone. Short one. Like a pine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
trains running down the track. They've all gone to like rust and they and ain't coming back. Time's going fast. The future like my past will soon be long. Fine guitar player, that Pat McDonald, and lyricist. Oh yeah, remember his uh, one of his early lyrics that we like to quote is uh, "Just another jerk taking pride in his work." Yeah. <laughs> I always like that song. Was that on the first album? Yeah, same one as Shades. Some, yeah, some yeah. Okay, I think that is the first that. album. Because yeah. um, I finally found a copy of Assholes on Parade, which was the B-side of, I can't remember what, but it was off the first album, I think, and they would play it in concert occasionally. And I always liked that song. Yeah. However, I don't have it on my iPod, so I can't play it. Um, but anyway, I don't know how much that guy influenced me. Probably not that much, but um, I like his stuff. Well, maybe you like his stuff, because it's a, I mean, you, you composed and wrote... You wrote, composed, did the lyrics for, and, and recorded that, and to me it sounds like something that was heavily influenced, I mean, maybe not heavily, but influenced by, but it, you're probably just on the same, you know, you were tuning into the same thing. You know, uh, I never really was into much uh, American music. I always had a thing for British stuff. And, and it took somebody like uh, Jimmy Page to reintroduce me to American music, really. Really? How? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of the acoustic stuff on like Zeppelin Three. Um, that had a huge influence on me, and uh, I, of course, play electric guitar, but the acoustic stuff seems to be where I am comfortable, Yeah. and uh, I picked up a few of those songs back in the old days, and uh, strange tunings, and, and the feel of a lot of that stuff was very influential early on, Yeah. far before I ever... And of course, what his influence was, was American blues musicians. Exactly. In fact, most of the British invasion was influenced by American blues musicians, and then they did what they needed to do with it. Um, growing up, you know, in St. Louis, there on the Mississippi, and you know, a lot of that stuff's just in my bones already, you know. Yeah. Even though I pretty much avoided it my whole life until recently, and uh, when I recorded this album, I really wanted to make a point of finding a comfort zone. In the past, I was always, you know, stretching and trying to do something phenomenal and you know, singing beyond my my reach and playing beyond my reach. And Does that have something to do with the title? Absolutely, yeah. And it's part of, you know, where I'm at in life and in general, just a little sick of all that. And, uh, <laughs> I literally sat down with the producer, Mike, casting away who um, is highly responsible for whatever quality is there on the record in the first place but uh, and pretty said, pro, man. and said that's what I wanted you know I wanted to be able to sit in a chair and play the songs by myself comfortably and make that kind of the center of the, the, the idea and um, everything else was just you know candy on top of that So he's going to play some more of that live, uh, that that album live, plus I guess a few other things at Cozy's this Friday. If you go to, you have your, you said it was DarrenMcGovern.com, right? Yeah. Go and check that out. If or you, you like, go to if Facebook. If you like the music. Yeah, or you can go to Facebook and, and friend 
Gary McGovern, as I have. Uh, Let, let's play one more here. While okay, we're on this go, ahead, go ahead. And we'll, we'll get into more, more stuff. There we go. Sins of the Father from this old life with Darren by Darren McGovern, who's in the studio with me today. Um, 
the funny thing is, I know what's going on in that song, I think, because Darren's told me. Well... I mean, you've told me out of the context of that song. Running the risk of, uh, you know, making a song too literal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, really nothing that I write, and I assume most people, is 100% literal. You know, you, you, you have a spark of something that may uh, get you started, but... Uh, you know, it's a lot to do with uh, these sayings, none of which came from me, but were all of my father's era, uh, primarily about women, but not all of them, and just some of them downright horrible. Uh, but, you know, you pick up these things. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so then it became just the idea of, you know, um, the, the concept or the sin of the father being passed down and, and how things in general in the past influence people. You know, when you're really young, you kind of feel like, you know, your parents are like, don't hang out with that guy, and you're like, what are you, crazy? You know, I'm my own person, I think, for myself. And I think as you get a little older, older, you realize how much people you're around do influence you. You don't like to admit that when you're young, I think. Yeah. Well, my parents never told me to do that, and I hung out with a guy that made me listen. He listened incessantly to Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa. When I was like 12, 13 years old, he was the same age as me, and for some reason, oh, because his brother, his brother would listen to it. So I'd go over to his house, we'd drink beer, 13 years old, and then later we started smoking pot, and listen to Zappa yeah. and, uh, and Beefheart. Well, my brother turned me on to them. He had their albums, you know, he's six, six years older than me or so, and uh, so I would pick those up, you know, the, the early Zappa. Great yeah. classics by B part like lick my decals off baby. Safe as milk. Yeah. And uh, but anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's just about that, that influence concept really when it comes down to it. But and some of these sayings uh, didn't come from my dad at all, but uh, a few of them did, but you know, they're the kind of things you hear from the older male generation when you're a kid that kinda shock you. My dad never said anything like that. It's a different life, you know, for different people, different uh, And it's weird places. It's weird to me to hear people's dads that were like that, that were like men's men, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, my dad, you know, grew up extremely poor. He didn't really know his father at all. You know, lied about his age. He had the military, so he had something to do. And, you know, uh, basically he was a boxer. And fighting was like his favorite thing to do, really, when it came down to it. Of fighting, so the line punch from the hip comes. Yeah, that's your that's your publishing company name too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, actually, the the record, a lot of this was just synchronicity, but it came out on his birth uh, on his birthday. It was the release day. So uh, you know. What does punch from the hip mean? You explained it to me. Well, if you're a boxer. Uh, you know what that means, and it's basically you try it when you're fighting. You don't hit people with your arms. Uh, you, all the energy comes from your hip, so you swing, literally pivot yourself. You're putting your body into it rather than just relying on your arm. And, and um, that's the basic idea right there. You know, What's the basic idea of naming your publishing company Punch from the Hip? Then? Um, well, not exactly sure. I just thought it sounded cool. <laughs> it does. And uh, that was the main thing. Well, you talk about music, and you know, you listen to it. I listen to the song, and I got it. 
it it brings up images and concepts for me that, and you know this as an artist that you don't even think about when you're doing the song, which is what makes good music or good art or poetry, whatever. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm just think uh, I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. But the funny thing is, I was always kind of geeky and artistic or whatever you want to call it, and I was really not comfortable with that macho thing and. <laughs> the drinking and the sports and all that. Nor I. And then I got a little bit older, and for some reason in my 30s at some point, I started liking baseball, and now I like it a lot. And then I started playing softball, and I hang out with the kind of people on the softball team that I used to, like, dread. And I don't, I don't know if I enjoy it. I enjoy it because I'm in that, I'm suddenly in this whole other world that I wasn't in before. You know, and, I, and there's people like, you know, patting each other on the back and good job, and you know, hit that ball, and you know, and I'm into it, and I like it. I like it at the time, but then I, you know, after it's done, I retreat from it and go back to other stuff, and I just like that dichotomy of. Well, it's you know, it's basic human human interaction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, socializing. Yeah, but it, yeah, but the socializing, that aspect of male socializing, always turned me off and freaked me out. And part of doing this was to just throw myself in there and see how I did in that world. Well, that, you know, it comes down to the basic topic of associations. I mean, as you're young, uh, you have experiences and you file them away in your little uh, capitalistic file cat file catalog in the back of your head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you're around a lot of jerk-off guys, you tend to associate a lot of negativity in that zone. And then, uh, you know, it affects you the rest of your life. And uh, some people are able to overcome it, some not. But, you know, it can send you in quite a tailspin of a life, these early associations, you know, the, yeah. those periods of uh, imprint. high imprint vulnerability, yeah. as uh, the great Robert Anton Wilson. By the way, everyone I refer to, I'm going to refer to as the great. Yeah. Because... Uh, I think imprinting came... Was, no, that was... Who came up with that concept? It wasn't Leary, was it? I'm not sure. I'm sure it may be some person we don't even know, but yeah, it might have been yeah. even might even be even been somebody like B.F. Skinner. I don't know, but Wilson's the one that drove it home for us. Yeah, just the 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 point at which you're you're easily influenced. You will take a so-called imprint of whatever your experience at that time, and that will be your model for the rest of your life. And if you can't get out of that model, you're kind of you're, you're um, hobbling yourself to your own development, your growth as a human, enjoying life or not enjoying it, etc. Yeah, I mean everything from religion to music to, to you know sexuality. These things hit you heavy on and early on, and um, it's it's hard to change that wiring because it's so deeply ingrained and. Uh, not that you may or may not want to change it, but um, that's what keeps us from evolving as a, the great Bill Hicks just told yeah, us, you know. evolving ideas. Is, uh, some people just, you know, they wonder why and, you know, realize that, uh, you know, you can take a conscious effort to uh, change some of these things. They, they're obviously difficult, but uh, you don't have to continue. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, like I said, with the with the with the macho thing, I just I wanted to immerse myself in it, and see how I reacted. And some people thought I wasn't a big macho guy, and other people thought that were totally okay with me. And it's I found that it wasn't a scary thing, really. It's just different. 
Of course. And all of this just from listening to sins of the Father. That's right. We could listen to some music. I've got a small list of things that uh, we could talk about. Um, early on, uh, probably the first five, six years we knew each other, um, Darren actually, I think you moved away to join a, uh, an OTO lodge, and then you, after no, you no, got no, what you... It wasn't OTO at all, no. Oh, it wasn't? Oh, Golden Dawn. Yeah, it was more of a Golden Dawn. That's right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Completely different. Which, you know... In the end of the day, it was basically a Kabbalah-based meditation. Yeah, and then he came back, and for a while you had, like, we had discussion groups or something at your house, and we, I still have the diagrams and the notes and things that we did during those, yeah. and, pe you know, people hear about, for those listening that don't know, people hear about Western occultism and that kind of stuff, Aleister Crowley, and they've got a certain idea about it, but like I said before, it's basically a way, it's one of the oldest forms of self-therapy. I mean, it's it's like anything else. I mean, really, you know, I from conceptual art class, is really what is set yeah. me on the path is, you know, the idea of uh, being able to design your own life and to think uh, creatively about your own life. And, you know, like any other cult, you know, uh, our drug, it has its pros and cons, and, uh, you know, some people who get into anything get lost in it and get carried away with it. Other people learn things and move on. Some people become obsessed and, you know, it becomes their favorite thing to do, but, you know, um, I think as an artist, you, you, you're curious about various human experiences, so it's, it's one of those things that, uh, like traveling, I mean, you want to go check it out for yourself. Uh -huh. And, um, I was never a, uh, a Bobby, so to speak, about it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, as long as I was interested and as long as I was uh, learning things and felt like it was doing something for me, I uh, really don't do any of that. I mean, I've, I've, I've tinkered around with other various cults, you know, Hindu uh, gurus and various things, just to see what they're saying for myself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from all of it. You know, I, I wouldn't profess any of it as I think the only guru that I, that I worship would be Wilson still, who uh, <laughs> taught the great mantra of doubt and uh, remaining non-fundamentalist about everything. And uh, I'm very fundamentalist in my non-fundamentalism. I noticed that. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really the term model agnosticism is, I think, still my favorite pigeonhole. Uh, because, you know, when you look at semantics and, and uh, language and uh, how the brain works, I mean, at the end of the day, um, to, to, to wholly trust any of your experiences or your metaphysical uh, formula yeah. uh, is just ridiculous. Belief systems are, are abbreviated BS. Exactly. One of my favorites. What did you mean you noticed that I'm very fundamentalist about my non-fundamentalism? Uh, that was just a weak attempt to be funny. Because <laughs> I do that, and sometimes people get mad at me. I get so unfundamentalist, they think I'm being fundamentalist. Yes. When I'm arguing with them, or discussing with them, or whatever, they're like, Well, you're... It's like... Well, it's a two. In order to argue, you do have to take up a contrary position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start quoting Monty Python in our interview here. 
Yeah, which uh, is another huge, frightening influence. But uh, speaking of language, here's a little clip from uh, Laurie Anderson's song. What, the Language is a Virus song? Uh, with the William S. Burroughs quote. Yes. We won't play it all, but you know, get a little piece of it. Speaking of the 80s. Wait, uh, combination of music and conceptual art that was really uh, extremely inspiring to me. Uh, something I've never really managed to put it all together uh, that way, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I was sorry I missed not seeing, uh, I missed seeing any of her concerts when she came through L.A. in the 80s when she was hot and all that stuff was going on. Um, I sell a couple of her albums. I even have the O Superman single, which might be worth something. I don't know. And um, I think he, she had Burroughs on two or three of her different songs. Um, in fact, his uh, his tape experiment stuff, um, uh, cut-ups on tape, she did the same thing. She did her own twist on it where she took a piece of magnetic recording tape and put on a violin bow and run it across tape heads. Right. Stuff. I've got, um, and I've played on this show a bunch of different clips of Burroughs talking about the cut-ups, where they came from, how they started, and what he hoped to accomplish with them. And um, people have used that concept to come up with stuff that's been, has influenced art and music and things like that in ways that people aren't really aware of until you get very much into it and find out you know, who used that stuff and who was, you know, uh, Lou Reed was very influenced by Burroughs' ideas about language. Um, who else? Patti Smith. A few other people that were that were in that crowd and rediscovered Burroughs in the 70s right. uh, and afterwards. 
And I wish I'd met him. I always wish I'd met Burroughs, and I never did. I could have, but I didn't. I bought a copy of um, Naked Lunch, a first edition, first or second printing of it, and he died four days after I bought it. <laughs> well, we got to see Larry and uh, Wilson, so. Did you go to that thing at the Scottish Rite Temple with Larry and Wilson and Paul Craster no, years and years ago? I can't remember what it was called. It was like conspiracy something or other. Roy Tuckman, who used to do that show on KPFK, he put it together, I think, or he was one of the organizers. And I didn't help organize it or do anything, but for some reason I sneaked into the green room and I sat there and talked with Leary for about 15 minutes. Oh, I forgot I was going to try out my theory that um, during the entire interview, everything you asked me, I could answer with the same question. Want to try it out? Okay. Same answer. The same answer? Um, out of all your readings of uh, Wilson and Leary, what's the what what's the most important thing you've taken away from it? Yeah, I guess it doesn't work. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, it was going to be, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> well, then you can't. Our, our pet. Uh, yeah, Darren's wearing the T-shirt. I'm afraid to wear that to work because I'm afraid we'll have the same shirt on. And the fact that twice that I have worn it to work, I've had another shirt in the car just to make sure. <laughs> if you walk in in the morning, I can go change shirts. Let's not talk about work. <laughs> Let's pretend we don't have regular jobs for the next hour. You know, um, when I was looking for work, um, I worked one place for one day. And the only reason I think I only worked there for one day, I went there, I did my job. They said, oh, well, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. And they had me sit there all day for like 10 hours and work. They said, we really need people, you know, come in tomorrow, we'll give you a call. And I went home, and on my Facebook, I wrote, just got a job, maybe just got a job today. How utterly depressing. And they never called me back. <laughs> yeah, I was reading something recently. Somebody was dogging on their boss on Facebook. and fired or some clip somewhere I somewhere. Yeah, I can't, you can't say anything anywhere anymore. I was talking to a lady who does the pigeonhole on uh, Monday night. She says she doesn't go on, she doesn't say anything online anymore at all that has any kind of controversy to it. Well, you know, you got to live dangerously sometimes. I told her I still do, but only stuff that really, like First Amendment stuff. Well, you could get in trouble for that. Good, I find I want to get in trouble for complaining about First Amendment stuff. Instead, everybody goes on with a pseudonym and rants endlessly. Yeah, that's a that's the other thing. You know, I've told you about this, but um, since I've written two or three books, I will go online and I don't hide behind a persona. I use my own name. Yeah. And then people come on and attack me with pseudonyms. And I was like, you know, at some point you want to say, you fucking jack off. You're, you can say whatever you want because people don't know who you are. Why can't I call you, you know, I, I can, I suppose, call you a dick, but then everybody's like, you called that guy a dick. I remember that time on that list you called that guy a dick. What a fucking dick. So it's it, it, it's uh, this whole a whole new concept for a 40-something-year-old person to be able to whine and bitch at people all you want anonymously on, uh, you know, on 30 different lists a day, which I, I have detected people doing. You can you can tell who they are if they use, though they use a different name because they'll refer to other things vaguely. And it's just, where do these people get the time to argue endlessly about this shit? 
I get to like the third point in an argument, and if somebody's still going, I just shut it down, and I don't even answer them anymore. Yeah, but you didn't win. I don't give a shit anymore. Hey, let's listen to the Beatles. Okay. Turn, turn me up. Turn me up, dead man. Which Beatles? This one. Why isn't it playing? Technical difficulties. It's broke. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember this. to have that on something called the Beatles. And now with something completely oh. different. <laughs> something called the Beatles with Tony Sheridan, I think. Oh, yeah. That I bought when I was in junior high school. That's the anthology version with, without Tony, I think. No. They have my Bonnie on there. I hope not. My Bonnie lies over the ocean with uh, John Lennon doing lead vocals. It's embarrassing. There was a show on the Beatles this morning I was listening to on the radio. They had George Harrison. I did an interview with Joel Jefferson. And um, just a piece of it, he was talking about how music was recorded. And he, um, he said, so for instance, you'd be listening to Hoagie Carmichael. You know it's Hoagie Carmichael. You know it's from the 30s because of the microphone and the way it's recorded and the lyrics. And it's just a snapshot of that time. And then they played a track off of um, Sergeant Pepper's just to illustrate that fact the funny thing is that George Harrison actually recorded uh, um, 
a cover of oh, it's one of my favorite Yogi Carmichael songs. Devil in the Deep Blue Sea. Nope. Uh, Hong Kong Blues. And the reason I like that song particularly is because there's a line in it about it being addicted to a, a couple lines in it about being addicted to opium. Well, in that case, I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> and George. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to radio station EXP. Tonight we are featuring an interview with a very peculiar looking gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. Paul Caruso on a dodgy subject of are there or are there not flying saucers? Or anyway, no Jimmy Hendrix. What? Uh, UFOs. Never heard that. Could you give us your regarded opinion Hendrix said he was abducted by aliens. The great Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah. Darren turned me on to the uh, what's the album? Uh, South Saturn Delta, which I don't. I, I sort of like Hendrix. It's like classical music to me. Um, I'll listen to it, and some of it I really enjoy, and others like yeah. But I really enjoyed that album because it didn't. Say, it sounded like you know, it's like what Hendrix was going to be, especially some of the jazz stuff that's on that album. Oh yeah, that was uh, South Saturn Delta. Yeah. Well, you know, he just came out with a new album. Another. Here's a song, Valleys of Neptune. Virtually uh, never heard before. Tucked away in the vaults. It wasn't part of the music. It's, uh, we've talked many times on this show, which you probably haven't heard, uh, Darren, I mean, about uh, LSD, uh, psychedelics in particular, particularly probably DMT and its influence um, on, the, on perception and how that is uh, connected to the UFO conundrum, the alien quote-unquote uh, uh, 
Oom, the, 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 the alien conundrum, the alien idea, the connection with the other, something that's not human and how that can be accessed very quickly through the avenue of psychedelics. Whether you believe that it is a, uh, a quote-unquote objective experience or not, but when you are on the, under the influence of psychedelics, uh, entheogens, you start to realize that some of that stuff, just even saying, is this an illusion or not, or are you just making this up or not, is a joke. Well, yeah. And it's funny because I've had people on the show that haven't done psychedelics, and people that have, and if they have, you know immediately, or they know immediately. There's, you, you immediately know because you've both been to that world yeah. and come back. Well, when I was in high school, I think it was a prerequisite to graduate. It wasn't in my neighborhood. And I didn't uh, touch any psychedelics until I was out of high school because they weren't available in my high school that I knew of, or I didn't hang out with the right people. Well, they used to hand them out in the hallways when I was in school. Lucky, I suppose. <laughs> no, it should be. I mean, if your mind's going to be if your mind's going to be blown, man, it should be blown as early as possible. Well, maybe not as early as possible, but to the point where you realize that if you don't come back, you shouldn't care. If you know what I mean. I have no idea what you mean. Haven't you ever been gone so far that you don't think you're going to come back and then realize that you shouldn't care about that because it would, it fucks everything up and it doesn't matter anyway? No, but I've uh, I've prayed to a God that I don't believe in to make me come down before. <laughs> I was speaking at some conference and I was talking to... A, oh, it was a guy that I'd spoken with at a conference. We were talking about dimethyltryptamine, and he said, oh, I said, at one point I got to a point where I didn't think I would come back, and, I, and me, what didn't matter anymore, the I, the ego didn't matter anymore, and that was quite frightening. It is, at first. And I said, and then I thought about it for a bit, and realized how much it was fucking me up, and I thought, well... And at the same time, we both said, if I, and I said, if I don't come back, and we both at the same time said, so fucking what? And we high-fived each other. <laughs> well, I had that same experience during the earthquake over in Arthridge, though. I was hovering in the ceiling, looking down at my body, and suddenly a big smile came across my face, and I realized how ridiculous every worry I ever had in my life was. And... Uh, how did you get to that state? Were you asleep when it... I was sleeping when the freight train went through the house. Yeah. Knocked the chimney off our house and stuff, so it was pretty intense. And uh, I distinctly remember, like, uh, almost physically, my smile was like a Cheshire cat smile, taking over my whole face like the Grinch. One of my favorite shots ever is when the Grinch is smile goes the size of his head. Yeah, and it curls at the end. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> then I thought of my daughter who was like, you know, one or two at the time. And next thing I know, I snapped back in my body. But um, that's as close as I came to that. I have come to that. You weren't on psychedelics at the time. Of course not. So what happened was the earthquake happened and it woke you up, but you snapped into another... I, I, I'm still I, not understanding how you got to this. It was just... State. Uh, the most deep form of fear you can imagine. 
and it's like your body, you know, you realize that you have absolutely no control because the volume of the, of the energy is so gigantic. You know, it's like when the people go out and lay on the beach and think about how far space goes, you know, in every direction and suddenly they feel uh, insignificant. Very, very insignificant. Can we have your liver then? <laughs> and uh, they start to have a sort of spiritual Yeah, but you were experience. jolted into one Yeah, well I think, you know Literally You know, that's one of the things that uh, Crowley talked about Was that you can either You can go at it two directions The typical Eastern meditations are You know, uh, to numb yourself with nothingness be still, breathe, steady, and you can get to the space of stillness where you can shift your mind out of your body. But with the Western ritual tradition, it was just the opposite. It was bombarding all of your senses with uh, sensual experiences of uh, combinations of you know sight, sound, smell, taste. So you'd be bombed with certain colors and fragrances and and uh, symbology. Yeah. So your mind was overwhelmed, uh, and you could achieve the same experience. So the theory goes. Uh, the the, the a corollary to uh, let the fool persist in his folly from um, who came up with that? Was it uh, William Blake? He said to just take yourself as far as you can in whatever direction it is you're going so that you can, you will realize the opposite of it when you have drenched yourself in the, you know, in, in the world of, completely in the world of something that you're not used to. You know, changing mental gears almost automatically by willing yourself to, willing yourself into, what's the word? Sensory um, overload. Well, you know, in the end, as the great Lori York once told me, <laughs> you basically are a laboratory, and all these theories of religion and meditation and drugs and, and whatever it may be, um, you know, there are no textbook one plus one equals two <laughs> answers to any of these things and uh, it's all a psycho you know a psychonaut experience we're all traveling through this experience and we're gathering uh, various experiences and uh, making of it as we will remember the Peter Carroll book Lieber Null and Psychonaut of course is that what the psychonaut came from? Was the basically what you were just talking about? Well, it's, yeah, it's traveling through your psyche, you know, as a psychonaut. And so... Lieber Null meaning the book is... Forget everything in this book before you've even looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either that or it was book zero. Um, but, yeah, I mean... It's, uh, it's profound in the fact that it's really not complicated at all and that uh, really it's the, the mistake occurs when people start to think 
you know, they've got some formula. I mean, it, it, it actually just happens even in the, the normal world when you go to a doctor. The doctor's answer is always a, a pharmaceutical one. If you go to a chiropractor, the answer is always a chiropractic answer. Yeah. If you go to a new age guy, it's always some, you know, whatever his shtick is, whether it be, right, right. you know, palm reading or geomancy or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's a pretty obvious phenomena that whoever you go to see, whatever expert, their reality tunnel is going to be what it's filtered through. Coincidentally, their solution for you is to do their thing. And you very rarely go to a regular Western doctor and he says, you know, you might want to try some meditation. You very rarely would go to a, a meditation place and they go, you know, you should see a psychologist and get some meds. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it just, just doesn't happen. And I think that should be a clue to everyone about, you know, taking everything with a grain of salt and and uh, while I'm on a rant, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, uh, religious concepts. You go to whatever branch it is, and they're going to tell you their way is the way. Did you ever see, um, to totally derail you, did you ever see uh, TV Funhouse? And now for something completely different. I don't have the volume turned up. It's all right, I said it. Uh, yeah, off and on, I've seen it. There's one episode where this guy is trying to run to find his friends because he's having a freak out. And he's, they, they're all in church because it's Sunday. But they're all puppets, and they're all different animal puppets. So every church he goes to, that, that puppet is crucified and is up in the church. It's like a dog church with a dog crucified. <laughs> and, a, and a duck church with a duck crucified. And a lobster church with a lobster crucified. Of course. <laughs> That's why Buddha's Chinese and uh, Jesus is a Viking. <laughs> we all know Buddha was a skinny little uh, guy from Nepal, probably looked like an Indian, and yeah. uh, Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. And, but you know, whatever place you go, they tend to make them look like that. Yeah, it goes back to Carl Jung and his, uh, you know, the great Carl Jung and his. Yes. Uh, writings on UFOs that, you know, they conveniently started showing up when technology allowed us to uh, know about flying and, su and such, and you can trace it on a timeline where, you know, when people had an experience, it, you know, and it, it was in Mexico, it was with Jesus uh, during the period where Christianity had been proliferated, and then once TV got in there, it was UFOs, and before Jesus, it was Quetzalcoatl or whatever the hell that guy's name is. Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. Um, okay. the, the feathered servant. Well, there are there are records of people seeing flying saucer type things before the 1940s, but where Jung comes in is that for some reason suddenly everybody started seeing them. Of course, yeah, it's a phenomenon um, in their experiences. You know, I mean. 2,000 years B.C., they were seeing fiery chariots land in India, yeah. you know, and, and such. But it was a chariot, remember? It wasn't a flying saucer. Well, because the they, they had chariots at that time. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is that, you know, as, as the great Robert Anton Wilson said, that um, he, I asked him where we were talking about this very thing at one point, and a few times I got to talk to him in person, and he said, well, there was a... Um, his idea was that, and he borrowed it from other people and changed it to his own thing, but 
his idea was that there is a collection of energy in your space-time area and if it doesn't fit into the box that you're used to putting it into you will jam it into one right um, whatever that may be at the time for your your culture what you've been taught to think and uh, as an example he used uh, a UFO uh, incident that occurred in Tennessee and Kentucky or something in the 70s where a woman said that they were abducted by aliens and another the other woman with her said no it was a bunch of kids on a school bus that drove by now if you're if you're a psychologist like you just said you're gonna you're gonna say well the, the women just had a fully adieu and they, they they both dreamed it and they they were both tired and and if you're a ufo researcher you're gonna say the aliens uh took them and, and blocked this other woman's memory out to make her right. think that there was a school bus going by and the other one slipped through a little bit which one the woman who actually had some memories oh yeah exactly and then it was reiterated when I uh, talked to Dean Ray, the, the, the great parapsychologist. <laughs> and he said, he said the same thing. Your, your brain, if there's not a box to stick it in, you'll lose it. And if you, de if you need a box to stick it in, your brain will make one. Because if something doesn't fit in a box in your brain, it's basically, it's, it's a, it's a non-event. Well, I mean, the, the whole thing with looking back on these is you never know if it's, like you said, they saw a UFO and they just interpreted it as a chariot, or if it's just dream material. That, yeah. You know, I mean, I've had experiences of very vivid memories that the more I analyze it, the more I realize I must have dreamed it. And so... Oh, did I dream it? Oh, did I dream it? <laughs> and... Um, it's, it's really clear to me that it wasn't something that happened, but it was a clear enough experience for me, and it seems so real that I can understand how some people could easily think that it was real. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's a stronger factor than a lot of people want to believe. But, uh, yeah. What the thinker thinks, the prover proves, huh? You want to play that song? Oh, we already did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, it's in, it's it's in um, uh, High Horse. High right? Horse. Okay. Yeah, it's the last line in there. I had to I had to use that somewhere. Actually, originally the song was about that. That was the impetus of that song. Was um, the Wilson famous Wilson saying, "What the thinker thinks, the prover proves." And uh, you and I are both truly familiar with the book Prometheus Rising. Yeah. And his exercise is to go out and instead of just uh, making your mind up about these things and he would continually repeat the fact that all this reading and discussion is meaningless unless you go out and physically do these things yeah, for he yourself. Keeps, he keeps pushing it in the book. No, put the book down and go out and do this. Right. In fact, stop reading now and go out and do this right now. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that's the that's the question is, you know, that people all have to ask themselves all the time, really, is, is when you come up with your version of what you think is going on, are you just gathering evidence to support what you already thought and conveniently missing all the rest of it? Or are you really, really giving the other side a chance? Well, that's and, why I like that. Go ahead. And I think that's his point, is that most people don't do that. That's why I like the Jack Nicholson line from a few for a few good I mean a few good men. You can't handle the truth because the truth will make you insane. 
because there, in many cases, there isn't one. Perhaps there's a moral truth. Well, we all like the truth, and uh, all I want is the truth. Some people can't get enough truth, <laughs> like the great John Lennon, truth addict. Truth. Uh, we went and saw Tony Clifton a couple weeks ago. That was yeah. the truth. That was the pure, unadulterated First Amendment at work. I, uh, you, you know, I had my um, recorder going the whole time. I dropped it on the floor for the first half of the show, and it stopped recording. So I got the whole second half of the show. Um, I've got a about a four-minute segment that I, I uh, edited down from it. You know, a lot of people think Andy Kaufman's dead. That's not the truth. <laughs> and people... I'm going to sneeze. People listening don't know. Tony... Oh. Tony Clifton was a character... Uh, or was he? Oh. 
that Andy Kaufman performed as, basically to screw with people, and um, which was his whole act, really, was uh, messing with people. And Tony Clifton was probably the pinnacle of the messing with people uh, project that he was doing as his uh, piece of performance art that was his, his professional life. Um, Tony Clifton was a nightclub singer, lounge singer that couldn't sing very well and told off-color jokes. Basically, all he did was make people feel very uncomfortable. Off-color. <laughs> Horrible jokes. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, I don't re I don't remember what kind of jokes Tony Clifton told in the 70s, but now what he's doing is telling um, dead baby jokes, ethnic jokes, uh, what else? Whatever rude thing you can come up with. Whatever rude thing you can come up with that would make the most amount of people who are the most uptight the most uncomfortable. Gotta love it. And we and people need to be made uncomfortable, including you and I. That some people left the show, which I was happy to notice. Sure. Uh, like, like when we saw the light, uh, meaning of life by Monty Python. People got up, walked out of the theater. That was awesome. Yeah, that it seems like things people get up and walk out on. It's, it seems to seem to attract us. Um, real early on, I think when Blue Velvet first came out on video, <laughs> Darren had a party at his house, and we said he said we're going to have a Blue Velvet party. So some people from work, some other people showed up, and people started getting mad. I lost a couple friends. <laughs> well, then they weren't really friends, were they? <laughs> Yeah, they, like, how uptight do you have to be? To, but when I look back on it, the first time I saw that movie, I was truly shocked. It took me a, you know, a few few viewings to get to the humor of it all, and start to appreciate the snappy dialogue. I think I was, it was something that I was initially, my initial reaction is the same one I have now. I was completely blown away and really energized by seeing it. Um, Monty Python, I had the same reaction as you, Meaning of Life. I was like, what the hell are they doing here? First time I saw it, I watched it all the way through. And the people were walking out. I saw it four times in the theater, and I noticed every time people walked out, and every time I saw it, I started to understand more what they were doing. It was basically they were evolving into a different form of comedy than they had done before and than anybody else had done. It was a direct descendant of what they'd been doing before, but it was at this whole new level. It was like an Andy Kaufman-esque you know, thing of uh, uh, evolution of uh, Monty Python. Yeah, it was amazing. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Which was what that film was. Speaking of stages of life, huh? Oh, I got something I want to play for you. Okay. This is a band that took authentic medieval instruments vocals, arrangements, and everything, and they cover Black Sabbath. Oh, I've, I've heard this. And uh, this one's a spiral architect. Okay, because uh, I've played, I've had, I have a recording of somewhere, I have War Pigs by that band. Yeah. Ar yeah. I, I guess the Latin is Architectus Urbis Calatus <laughs> by Ron Dellis. And uh, let's hear a little bit of that. Is it working? Oh, you bossed it. Mm -hmm. 
course, all the lyrics are in Latin. Sigrid is, uh, my wife, she sent me an email because um, at Dodger games and for some movies and things like that, they play this this like orchestral piece with um, with a chorus in it, and it basically sounds like... And I always thought, whenever that came on, I would say... really has lyrics. It's called Fortuna. It's called Old Fortuna. That's what they're singing. Oh, Fortuna! And she sent me the lyrics in Latin, and it's a, it, it, it's a real actual composition from, like, I think the 19th century or something like that. And <laughs> let me find it. You can find... It's on... Uh, they have... They have um, it's on YouTube, I think. And as soon as you hear it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For Christ's sake, I thought it was raining for a second. That's how bad it is. Yeah, if you hear a motorcycle go by, it's hot here and we have the windows open. Well, this show, uh, um, people know exactly um, what goes on here. Every show, we cannot go through a whole show without having um, a siren go by. I've been doing interviews and people say, is that a siren? I was like, yeah, that's outside. Go ahead. This one. Everybody knows this one. 
always play when Satan comes around. Yeah. Here it is. Oh. Uh oh. Say something in Latin. O Fortuna by oh, who's Orf? You are malevolent. Malevolent. Getting scared. There it is. There's a siren. You would never know. <laughs> blah, blah. And that's called Old Fortuna by somebody Orf, O R F F. Oh, I guess they used it in many movie trailers, including the one for it's 300. Like the, the, what is it, the Flight of the Valkyries or whatever? The he uses he uses right of the Valkyries really. Yeah. yeah. Lots. The uh, And now Robert Johnson. Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door. Early this morning. Perfect. Oh, Fortuna with the, with the sirens going. <laughs> Got my blood racing. And I said, Hello, I believe What's the title of this one? Me and the Devil. Oh, it's oh, Little Richard. <laughs> Another great ode to beating your wife. She said, I gotta beat my woman until I get satisfied. Speaking of Tony Clifton. Uh, I, I told Darren, uh, right before he came over, I uh, edited together about four minutes of the Tony Clifton show that I uh, bootlegged. You hear that bit? It's about four minutes. Three and a half to four minutes. Sure. Let's see if we can offend some people. 
Well, it's a couple. It's him speaking a couple uh, lines and then doing. Um, uh, I will survive. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't have a. I'm a rhinestone cowboy. Yeah, they kept breaking into that during the show. Did like 50, 50 times the song came to an end. <laughs> Total silence, and then. I'm a rhinestone. <laughs> uh, never ending. So you need this cable? Is that yeah, unfortunately, I need the cable. Right. Mr. DJ. The swapping of the iPods. So let's see how well this sounded with a recorder sitting inside my shirt. Uh, in my, actually, in my shirt pocket of Tony Clifton at the Comedy Store on the 21st of May. Try to rain on my parade. <laughs> I cough and trying to ride my coat. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you make a joke like that about me, Greg, when I'm dead. Oh, I will. As long as you go first. And then his signature tune, which is I Will Survive, but he changes the lyrics, of course. fair when I left. I, my face hurt from laughing. It must have hurt because it was killing me. <laughs> Stop it, you're killing me.
That's pretty smooth. And then one little quote at the end that I kind of added it in, which was the whole point of the show. And I'm able to say and do the things I do because of a thing called the First Amendment. Right? It's the right to say whatever you fucking want. You know, there's a lot of this political correctness bullshit that has to stop. Yeah! But after that, they start that, and the next thing is burning the books. I'm telling you. Don't worry. Hey, what happened to my microphone? Oh, I, I turned this down. There we go. <laughs> I turned down the monitor. Ben, how can you be so fucking suave? Oh, man. And, well, see, we don't have the camera on. You can't uh, do the Ben look. <laughs> what do you want to drink to, Greg? Um, let's drink to fucking Tony Clifton. <laughs> Here's to you. Fuck Greg. <laughs> the great Dennis Hopper who just died. Very yeah, uh, Darren called me right in the middle of doing some work. He said, Dennis Hopper died. I was like, what, what, what's going on? What's the problem? Dennis Hopper died. Oh, oh, shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, Frank. Why does there have to be people like Frank anyway, Greg? Can you answer that question? Um, to make our lives better. To make our lives mirthful. To make us not take shit so seriously. To make us realize that David Lynch is a genius, that's why. <laughs> I'm totally in the mood right now to go for a joyride. <laughs> you want to go for a joyride? Good fucking idea. Let's go. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to what? 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 I don't understand. You don't want to go for a what? Ride. A ride. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> Says leave her alone. He punches Frank in the face. It's just it, these are classic movie moments. Dancing on top of the car. That put his disease in me. Thing became a cultural touchstone. Or should have. Patton Oswalt uses that line. Oh, uh, Darren's iPod. God, I've been sneezing all day. What is going on? Could be some of the five million year old dust in here. Cockroach dust. What the hell is this? This is from the great Peter Gabriel. It's one of his uh, musical finds. This is, sounds more like uh, someone being totally drunk and walking to me. So David Byrne goes to South America and, and uh, Peter Gabriel goes to the Middle East. You know what David Byrne likes to do, don't you? No, what? Listen to weird music. While watching women take crap on a, on a uh, take a crap on a glass table above him, at least he's not Jeff Beck. <laughs> oh, that was Jeff Beck. That's right. <laughs> I thought it was Jeff Beck. 
some other story. Speaking of Jeff Beck, the great Jeff Beck, he is the man. I'm really glad to see he's having a career now. All of a sudden, he's like the hottest thing to get awards. It's all really? Over the place. Yeah. Oh. Winning Grammys and he's showing up on every show, award show. He's been the, the hottest guitar player in the world since Hendrix. And uh, people don't really get to hear him much, for those of you who care about guitar players. I guess I care about geeky guitar players. As Mick knows, if he's still listening, Takeshi Terauchi. Yahoo! Well, I did want to play this one song in honor of my uh, CD being released. A Jeff month. Beck song? No, this is a Todd Rundgren classic. Um, it's called an Elfie's Worth of Tunes. A man who makes a living off a plastic waffle. There's something at the heart of it that's simply awful. A man who makes a living off a plastic waffle. There's something at the heart of it that's simply awful. A man who makes a living off a plastic waffle. Trying to make a living off an LP's worth of tunes. Work is falling on my ground. Not a thing can help me now. My life is on the line for an LP's worth of It goes in, suddenly goes into the fly here. It's pretty funny. Year is that? The great Todd Rundgren. Uh, like 74 from the Todd album. You know what it sounds, it completely reminds me of, and you probably know who this, this band is 10CC. Of course. Yeah. That's another one of my guilty pleasures not too many people know about. Godly and Cream and 10CC. Oh, Godly and Cream. They had that song, I'm in, what is it? I pity inanimate I pity inanimate objects. objects, yeah. My god, that song was amazing. Yeah, it's on L, I believe. The album L. Yeah, I couldn't get enough of that album. I did not know you liked Godly and Cream and 10cc. Strange. Anything strange like that. I back only got one 10cc back song. Then. Yeah, one 10cc <laughs> song on my iPod, and it's um, 
uh, is it Wall Street Shuffle? No. Oh, it's Clockwork Creep from uh, How Dare You. It's a song. It's a song about a bomb on an airplane. But the thing is, the song is sung by the airplane and the bomb. <laughs> so what else you got on your agenda? <laughs> there, Greg. Music Next hippies. up on the agenda. Hippies versus punks. Yeah. Well, I'm one of the rare few people these days that still backs the hippies. It's totally uncool, I know. But, you know, Crosby still's Nash and Young. can take on any punk band anytime, as far as I'm concerned. It's, I don't think it's a comparison of music. It's a comparison of what they're trying to do with the music and their audience. No, really. it's, it, sure it is. It's like, you know, it's a big competition. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was frightened because I used to hate the Eagles, and I still hate them. But I was at my flying instructor's uh, house, house-sitting for him, and he's like, you know, he's in his 50s. He's all into he 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 was a hippie. He grew up during that period, and of course, that's all he has is that era's kind of stuff on his on his uh, in his iTunes. But I started looking through it, and then I, I downloaded some stuff. I mean, I used to listen to Pink Floyd. I haven't in a long time, so I downloaded some Pink Floyd. And then horror of horrors, I downloaded some Eagles. I still don't like them, but I was listening to them. and I was thinking, this is genius music. I don't like it, but it's genius music. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, depends on what you're after. I mean, it's undoubtedly well done. Yeah. And um, they were a little slicker to me and uh, uh, not as interesting as, like, probably still not young. I, I still love their stuff and the warmth and the human mate, the human quality of it. Um, it's a rare item. Whoa, what the hell is that coming from? Oh, from your phone? Blackberry. Imagine what it does to my balls. Do you carry it near your balls? I try to. Why is it on vibrate? No. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. There's that. Yeah, of course. No, I had a list of stuff we were going to talk about. We can talk about whatever the fuck. Um, now, I don't, I, it's funny because we're... I don't think our... I think you're probably like a year or two older than me, maybe. Three. But we imprinted on totally different music. Yeah. Well, part of it was I had an older brother who had a huge record collection, played guitar. So he had turned me on to, you know, early 60s stuff and, you know, Beatles, Who, Zeppelin, Sabbath, Rolling Stones, all that. Stones. I listened to all that. I have all those albums, and I had those. And then in 77 or 78, when the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and all that started... I liked that too. Yeah. And when Devo started up, they became in like 77 when I was like 14 or something. They were my favorite band. Yet I still listen to the Beatles. The funny thing is, I didn't know anybody that listened to both types of music at the time. Yeah, so I had like a set of friends that listened to one type and a set of friends that listened to the other type. It was very strange. Well, yeah, it's like, a, you know, I came from the disco sucks crowd, right? Yeah. People were very proud to hate disco. Everything about it is disco. Um, and, you know, mostly because they were white guys who couldn't dance in the first place. But well, I, I think most disco is as shitty as any other kind of most, any kind of music. But there's some disco tunes that show some genius, like anything. Well, you know, obviously it's not, 
disco isn't even about that. It's just about having fun and partying and yeah. not paying attention to what the hell they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, you know, it was just like a criminal act. Well, that's like most of Paul McCartney's music. You don't really pay attention to what he's saying. Ah, uh, at your own peril. Oh, yeah? So you really pay attention to the secret messages. What's the secret message in Ram on? on. Well, or no, Monkberry Moon Delight. How about that? Well, Monkberry Moon Delight, you know, I probably shouldn't reveal these things because they are quite uh, esoteric, and, and, esoteric. Uh, and not for tender neophyte ears. But I think uh, it's pretty clear what they're talking about in there to me. It's uh, about getting high a lot. Yeah. Well, I partially. That's I, that's I, the exoteric meaning. Paul, Paul has actually quite a few songs about smoking pot, like uh, Stranglehold on his Press to Play album is about how you got to go and get some pot and you got to wait in the car and, you know, all those things. And he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. Oh, you want to bet? He doesn't have to. He has people do that for him. Anytime you go around and do stuff, you're involved, right, with the hand gestures and the... Well, why would he write a song about the details of it? He, he asked the guy that did it for him. <laughs> what kind of class class struggle mentality is that? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You gave me this a while back. And it's really one of the most amazing covers I ever heard. Is uh, you want to play the original first? Nah, people just go get that. Yeah. But the uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins doing Monkberry Moon Delight. I bought a CD of Screaming Jay Hawkins. It, it was a bunch of other songs, and I was looking at the back cover. I was like, what? No. So I bought it without even hearing it, because I had to. Well, he's insane to start with. I like how he doesn't get any of the words right. jaw hang open when you heard this? Anyway, if you get the original, it's one of the most amazing vocal performances ever. Uh, that along with Oh Darling yeah. uh, showing up Paul's extremely powerful voice. But this one's funnier. something you don't want to do that makes your mind go away yet you still I told you about this the other day yet you can still do what you need to do 
I'll play just the beginning of this thing. This is a Zappa. Zappa, and as it goes on, it starts getting that groovy. Go, holy shit, this is Zappa. Is this that, that CD you lent me? Uh, Yellow Shark. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, done with a symphony in Germany. Oh, Germany, yeah. He just composed it, he didn't uh, conduct or anything. Oh, this one, yeah. Some people don't like you to mention certain things. Some people don't want you to say this. Some people don't want you to say that. Some people think if you mention some things, they might happen. Some people are really fucking stupid. Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? God damn, there's a lot of stupid bastards walking around. Carry a little pad and pencil with you. You wind up with 30 or 40 names by the end of the day. Look at it this way. Think of how stupid the average person is, and then realize half of them are stupider than that. And it doesn't take you very long to spot one of them, does it? Take you about eight seconds. You'll be listening to some guy. You see, this guy is fucking stupid. <laughs> Not, not you or me. Then there are some people, they're not stupid, they're full of shit. <laughs> uh, that doesn't take very long to spot either, does it? Take you about the same amount of time. You'll be listening to some guy and say, well, he's fairly intelligent. Ah, he's full of shit. <laughs> Some people, they're not stupid, they're not full of shit. Anyway, it's getting late here, so I think I'm going to play one more of my songs. Yes. This is a shout out to my wife, Lynn. Hi, Lynn. She didn't come out with me tonight, but um, she sings on the record. And um, if I can find my list here. This is like the, my personal favorite song. It's called Nothing To It. It's kind of an artist ode to the struggle of coming up with stuff and, uh, and people talking casually like, oh yeah, I wish I was uh, gifted like that and I could just uh, make up a song. As if it took no effort whatsoever. But anyway, yes, I am grateful. Thank you. <laughs> Rain is falling Another day I miss the calling 
no words to say There's nothing to it You never mind Don't listen to it And you'll be fine But crows are flying The wind is high and I'm just trying to read the signs. There is nothing to it. There is nothing to it. The sun is shining. Another day. Is rising up the plane. There's nothing to it. You never mind. Don't listen to it, and you'll be fine. The crows are flying. The wind is high. I'm just trying to read the signs. There is nothing to lose. There is nothing to lose. There is nothing to Talk straight to you now. Life isn't easy, but I know we get through somehow. Count your blessings, count your blessings, count your blessings, count your blessings. Old Life, Darren's McGovern's new CD, which you can. Hello. Hello. You can pick up on iTunes or through DarrenMcGovern.com, right? Sure. Or Amazon or iTunes or whatever the hell you know, all those places. But it's yeah. amazing. It sounds. I don't know if it's the producer or water your ear, but it sounds. It's it, it sounds so professional. I mean, it's like. 
you would hear that playing somewhere and wouldn't think, oh, well, that's just somebody doing something or, you know. Well, that was the deal, you know. I mean, I have done a couple of albums. Somebody did past. something on their home, whatever, which is what you did right. years and years ago. Right, and I did one with a band, and, uh, but it was still sort of a, uh, you know, we produced ourselves, and even though we did it in the studio. So this time I just made a point of, you know, using professional musicians and uh, getting a producer. And the guitar player is uh, Mark Goldenberg, who played on, uh, who's playing right now with uh, Jackson Brown for the last seven years, so he took it up a notch too. Yeah. And Jay Coco played drums, and uh, Mike Castaway played guitar, or some guitars and uh, bass and produced it. There it is again. You're lucky you got two of them. All right, Darren, thanks for coming on and, and playing the album. I hope uh, people will pick it up. Uh, I already picked one up very early on, uh, and I will post this as the three past shows. <laughs> and the three shows from the past few weeks up at Radio Mysterio, so here very soon. Uh, next week is John Shirley. He's going to come on and he's going to argue with me about the reality, quote-unquote, of uh, paranormal and UFO phenomenon, which he thinks is is probably all bullshit. Yeah, and I just want to say uh, on the uh, website, you might want to go to Facebook if you want to get some information about the gig on the 11th at Cozy's oh, yeah. in Sherman Oaks, 10 p.m., that is five days from now, next Friday. Yes. And uh, thanks for having me, Greg. Sure. Fun. No, thanks for coming on. I don't know if we solved anything, but... Uh, I don't think the point is to solve anything. It's the, it's the journey, man. <laughs> Did I want you to hear this? It was such a nice song to end with. I wanted to play something for Mr. Mike. You know who Mr. Mike is, right? Michael O'Donoghue? No. He was a writer for National Lampoon. And then he became a writer for Saturday Night Live. Um, and his humor was very dark and uh, nasty. Oh, we didn't talk about green eggs and ham either. We'll have to do that next time. Yeah, you got to come on again. We have to talk about green eggs and ham. Green eggs and Soham, which was written for um, the Excluded Middle magazine that uh, I did uh, or co-edited back in the 90s. Here, Dan, I, I just wanted you to hear this if you haven't heard this little Mr. Mike piece. It's called Gift of the Nazis. Cool. Be sure to tune in next week when the National Lampoon presents the beloved German Christmas tale, Gift of the Nazis, the heartwarming story of an impoverished concentration camp official who sells his electric torture machine to buy his wife a new set of lead-weighted thongs for her whip, only to find that she has sold the whip to buy him a new pair of electrodes for his generator. I thought you might like that. <laughs> National Lampoon. Gift of the Nazis. There, there's another uh, long forgotten and missed uh, politically incorrect source of wisdom. Everything you know is wrong. Actually, the next time you come on, um, maybe we can just play comedy stuff and talk about that, too. I, I did not know this till I started talking to Darren closely again after many years that he was heavily into comedy stuff. Of course. Yeah. Marx Brothers, you? Three Stooges. Yeah. Monty Python. All right, we'll get into that next time. Next week with John Shirley. Steve Wright. What? Steve Wright. Oh, yeah, you like Steve Wright. 
I'm, I'm sort of I'm ambivalent on the fence about him. Uh, John Shirley, famous science fiction author, best known for his uh, script for The Crow, with the uh, Brandon um, Lee movie of many years ago. I think they're, re they're putting together another one now. I don't know if he's involved with that one, but we'll ask him next week on Radio Mysterioso here on Kill Radio. Um, there's no show after me. I guess Radio Antenna died or is not coming in anymore. I used to have to get off at 10 o'clock here, but I haven't seen him in a while, so we'll just have to play, play you out with something else here and um, be back next week from 8 to 10 p.m. on uh, killradio.org. Sundays, 8 to 10. Let's see, what's good on here? Oh, well, you played your Bill Hicks. I'll play my favorite Bill Hicks, and we'll end the show with that. Speaking of Satan, uh, Satan, I was watching Rush Limbaugh the other day. <laughs> Doesn't Rush Limbaugh remind you of one of those gay guys who likes to lay in a tub while other men pee on him? fat body in a tub while Reagan, Quayle, and Bush just just stand around pissing on him and he can't his little piggly wiggly dick can't get hard. Ah, uh, uh, can't get hard. Reagan, pee in my mouth. Well, how's that, Rush? Still can't get hard, so they call in Barbara Bush. She takes her pearls off, puts them up his ass, then squats over him, undoes her girdle. Her wrinkled, flaccid labia unfolds halfway down to her knees like some ballless scrotum. She squeezes out a link into his mouth. Finally, his dick gets half hard. A little clear bubble forms on the end with a maggot inside. The maggot pops the bubble and runs off and joins a pro-life group somewhere. Am I the only one that sees that? Or no? Oh. Thank God I'm not alone. Thank God I had the insight to notice Rush Limbaugh is a scat muncher. I think we're having a... Uh... Now an encore presentation of Radio Mysterioso for your enjoyment.